0: Hey guys, welcome back to Nutrient Daily Podcast. I'm your host, Brady Rude. Today's topic, we are going to talk about gut health and how that is intimately tied with your mood and with things like anxiety and depression and how you can take control of your gut health and essentially take control of your life. So let's get into it. Um, First, I want to define microbiome and microbiota. These terms are synonymous. So You're going to hear those terms used interchangeably, but the microbiome defined by Harvard is the total collection of microbes that live within and on our bodies. So, in or on our bodies, I thought this was about gut health. How do we have bacteria on our bodies that influences our gut? Well, let's look at the actual surface of our body. Most people would think the surface of your body is just your skin, but technically, when you get inside your stomach and your intestines, you really haven't gotten inside the body yet. It's still an external kind of surface compared to your blood and all that stuff. So your microbiome is the total collection of microbes that live within and on our bodies. So technically, the gut is kind of these microbes living on a surface of our body. Okay, what are microbes? Microbes are things like bacteria, viruses, fungi, and single-celled organisms called protozoans. So the total collection of those microbes makes up our microbiome. And just an interesting fact for you. Two interesting facts for you. Number one, we have trillions of microbes in our gut. So the human body is made of trillions of cells. We also have trillions of microbes in our gut alone, which is kind of mind-boggling. And here's another mind-boggling fact for you. If you count the entire amount of DNA that we have in every single one of our cells put together, so our total collection of DNA, and compare that to the amount of DNA that the bacteria and viruses and all those microbes in our gut have, there are 200 times more genes in our microbes than in our body. So, just decoding the human genome really didn't give us a whole picture of the genes that are at play in our entire existence. So, sometimes the gut is referred to as the second brain. Okay. So why is that? Well, according to the Cleveland clinic, not only do the gut and the brain communicate through the nervous system, but they also communicate through hormones and the immune system. And the gut brain connection works in both directions too. For example, GI problems can cause anxiety and stress. So already we've gotten a little bit of a look at why the gut is called the second brain. It communicates with our first brain by a variety of methods, including hormones and the immune system, but it also communicates with our brain in both ways. So our brain can talk to our gut and our gut can talk to our brain, and our gut does talk to our brain a lot. So why else can the gut be called the second brain? Well, if you cut the nerve that goes from the brain to the gut, which is the vagus nerve, or the 10th cranial nerve, if you cut the vagus nerve, the gut will be able to function completely on its own. So what does that mean? Well, Our gut has smooth muscle that lines our intestines, that pushes food down. And usually smooth muscle is controlled by our brain. And it's not under our conscious control. We can't control smooth muscle like we do other muscles, like skeletal muscles, like our biceps or our quadriceps. But even without the brain, the gut can control those muscles. So it kind of stands alone, which is another reason it's called the second brain. It's autonomous in a way. Another reason why it can be called the second brain, and this is my personal favorite of the four. There's probably plenty of more reasons, but the four I'm going to tell you today, this one is my favorite. Our gut communicates using neurotransmitters. And actually, we'll see the bacteria in our gut communicate using neurotransmitters as well. So what are neurotransmitters? Well, things like serotonin, dopamine, and GABA are all very important in our gut communication. So those three in particular are neurotransmitters that typically make us feel good and make us feel relaxed. Serotonin is somewhat referred to as the happy chemical or the happy neurotransmitter because it stabilizes our mood. Dopamine is highly involved with things like reward and addiction and can also cause euphoria, hence being involved in things like addiction and reward. And GABA is involved in giving us a sense of relaxation and tranquility. And to illustrate that, I use the example of alcohol. The reason alcohol makes us feel how we feel when we drink alcohol is that alcohol allows for GABA to enter our neurons more frequently. So alcohol causes the release of GABA, and that causes us to calm down and sort of shut the anxiety parts of our brain down so our gut communicates with all of those neurotransmitters just another reason why we call it the second brain so there's another name and it's a more technical name for the section of the nervous system that controls our intestinal tract and it's called the enteric nervous system and it's a subdivision of the autonomous nervous system so it in other words it's beyond our control so the enteric nervous system governs the function of the gastrointestinal tract so that's the second brain standing alone that kind of brings me to my next point we have our first brain in our head and our second brain in our torso or in our stomach i guess you could call it, i guess you could say so now there's this thing called the gut brain axis. So I mentioned the vagus nerve earlier, and that's a nerve that goes from our brain, and it actually communicates with most of all, if not all, of our internal organs. And so it goes kind of all over the place. And if you look at the root for the the root word of vagus, it's actually vagrant, which means to Sort of wander. Um, I guess other words that I think of are like vagabond, um, someone who wanders. So the vagus nerve is connected to a lot of organs, but is connected to the gut. And so that's our main way of communicating with our gut and our gut's way of communicating with our brain. So why does that have anything? To do with our diet and our mood. Well, that's the main highway, I think, for that communication that establishes that connection. So, let's start talking about the bacteria now. So we've already established that the gut is connected to the brain in a very intimate way, using a nerve, so a direct connection, um, and that you know it's. It's a surface of our body, so it is really important for protecting us from the outside world. Um, Our gut is. So let's talk about some of the bacteria that are there. So I've already mentioned that we have trillions of bacteria in our gut. So what do they do? Well, they basically, in exchange for us giving them a place to live, they give us things like nutrients from our food. They'll break down food, give us nutrients. Uh, they also give us like vitamins, specifically vitamin K and vitamin B12, which are both essential vitamins for us to have, especially B12. And um, they also provide another layer of protection in our gut. So basically, when these bacteria create colonies, they kind of stick to each other. They secrete substances that allow them to kind of stick to each other, sort of like glue. And that glue creates another barrier between the outside world and our bloodstream. We want to protect our bloodstream because if we got anything bad in our bloodstream, it can cause severe infection, like sepsis, which is can be fatal, and um, it can also just cause allergic reactions and general general immune responses that can make us sick. So. So the bacteria break down food, provide us with vitamins, and make our gut lining a little more thick, and so protect us from the outside world a little bit more. Okay, so I want to focus on the importance of that last point, making our gut lining a little more thick. If we have a thin gut lining, then there is a high chance that things can get through. Um, our gut lining is only really made of a single layer of cells, and there's spaces between those cells. Typically those cells have what we call tight junctions, or they're, they're pretty much just bound together. Um, but when we have injury in our stomach or our intestines, it can cause those tight junctions to sort of loosen up, and now we have... A direct access way for pathogens to get into our blood. Um, So what causes our gut lining to do that? Well the main culprit is inflammation. So what causes inflammation? Sometimes if we get bad bacteria in our gut they will embed themselves in the cells of our gut lining and being the foreign bodies that they are, the foreign invaders, the bad bacteria or the bad viruses, that can cause a response from our cells to start to send out distress signals to our immune system. And our immune system will come by and notice something's going on and it will send out inflammatory factors which will attempt to kill and remove the pathogen. But most of the time when our immune system sends out inflammatory factors, it doesn't just kill the pathogen, it kills the whole kind of surrounding cell environment. It, it, it'll kill most things in the way. So now we have a scenario where your gut lining cells are getting destroyed, and the pathogens are, get, are getting destroyed too, but it's now creating an access point for other pathogens in your intestinal tract to get into the blood. Okay, so this is called leaky gut for obvious reasons, um, but inflammation will lead to leaky gut. And leaky gut will lead to things like irritable bowel syndrome and general inflammation. So, okay, so what happens when things actually get into our bloodstream? Well, when foreign invaders get into our bloodstream, our immune system signals a response. It finds the invader, tags it as a pathogen, and then we send out special cells like killer T-cells in our immune system to destroy these pathogens well that whole process causes inflammation and inflammation is kind of the core or i should say the root cause of like all anxiety and depression and pretty much anything that that goes wrong chronic inflammation is um kind of the cause of really all chronic diseases we see especially things like cancer so when we have this inflammation going on due to a leaky gut, we start to get anxious and we start to show signs of sickness behavior. And we can even get you know a fever going or something like that. Um so so we don't want a leaky gut. Right. So why else don't we want a leaky gut besides just getting general inflammation? Well, let's say a particle of food gets through our gut and into our bloodstream, our immune system will also recognize that as foreign, and it will tag that piece of food as an invader and as a pathogen. So now we've tagged a piece of food as a pathogen, and any time that food comes into contact with our immune system, our immune system's going to have a reaction, and this is otherwise known as food allergies. So you might not be born with food allergies, You might develop them by having an unhealthy or leaky gut and there's a lot of good evidence to say that even if you have a food allergy by repairing your gut lining you can sort of overcome that and retrain your immune system for some people it's not quite the case and there are genetic food allergies but for some people who just have temporary food allergies or pretty bad responses to food for a while Um, that might be the case so if you've had that or you have that currently look into foods that are healthy for your gut which i'll also get into pretty soon here so one more thing i want to mention about a leaky gut is that if you start to get inflammation and your immune system kind of goes over or becomes overactive due to these things crossing your gut lining you can actually start to develop things that are like autoimmune disorders where your body starts attacking itself. Um, Your immune system sometimes can attack itself, and that can be really devastating. So it's pretty important to have a sealed gut. You can kind of see the implications of, of a bad gut lining here. So let's kind of go over some things that we've talked about so far, and then I'll start to get into how we can work with our microbiome to ensure positive gut health and what that can mean for our brain health as well. So, so far we've said that bacteria live in our gut to protect us from pathogens and to break down food, to produce vitamins, and also to create an extra barrier between our bloodstream and the outside world. So when things go awry, we can get gaps in our gut lining, and this can lead to leaky gut, which can lead to inflammation and cause anxiety and depression and a host of other things. So now how can we work with our microbiome, or how can we improve our gut health? Well, basically, the food we eat determines our bacterial population. So if I eat foods that... So if I eat a certain type of food very frequently, I'll have a large population of bacteria that's specific to that food. So for instance, if I eat ice cream a lot, I'll have bacteria that is specific to breaking down ice cream. And if I stop eating ice cream, those bacteria will begin to die or become reduced and replaced by other bacteria from the food that I'm eating more than ice cream now. And those bacteria will attempt to tell me to eat ice cream again so they can stay alive. All bacteria want to stay alive, so when they start to die, they send out distress signals, and those signals can actually lead to cravings. Like, hey, we need ice cream. So then my brain says, I need something really sugary, and I've been getting that sugar from ice cream, so I probably want to eat some ice cream. And it's not just ice cream, it's everything. So with that being said, we can kind of use this bacterial response to the foods we eat for ourselves or against ourselves. So it could be the cause of cravings of things like donuts and uh, sugary foods, or it could be the cause of cravings of fatty foods, or it could be the cause of cravings for vegetables and fruit. So the more we feed our bacteria, the more the more we feed specific bacteria, the more those bacteria are going to tell us that we want those foods that the bacteria really enjoy. So, some types of food that can cause harmful bacteria to reproduce include sugar. It's like high sugar foods, um, sugar-loving bacteria, again, like I said, will cause us to crave sugar, and they'll actually communicate with our brain using dopamine and reward us for eating sugar. Now, we all know this feeling of eating something high in sugar and feeling good and getting kind of that sugar rush, that sort of euphoric feeling. But sugar is obviously really bad for us and it's kind of the main contributor to heart disease actually now, is what they're thinking. So. And things like diabetes, of course. Um, So those bacteria are going to want you to eat sugar. And we would call those harmful bacteria. Um, Some some foods, though, can promote healthy gut bacteria. And I'm sure you guys have all heard of probiotics, right? Um, There's also things called prebiotics, which are foods that... Good bacteria can feed on. So let's just define probiotics and prebiotics. Probiotics are actual living bacterial populations or bacterial cultures in food. So when you take probiotics, they'll give you a list of all these bacteria that are in the food or the probiotic, whatever form it's in. They'll give you a list of all the bacteria that are in there. Um, One example of that is like yogurt. So yogurt. Can contain probiotics or can be called a, a probiotic. All right, so prebiotics, though, don't actually have the bacteria, they just have fiber, which is bacteria's main food source. And hopefully, prebiotics that are ever being advertised are going to be beneficial fibers for beneficial bacteria. Um, so, some Bacteria that are good for you that you can look for in probiotics, or you can look for mention of these bacteria on prebiotics, meaning that the prebiotic will specifically feed these bacteria. Um, one of the bacteria is called lactobacillus. So anything with lacto or that starts with L typically, um, that's a good one. That's a very popular probiotic in yogurts and other probiotics just on the market Um, and it's also very prominent in your gut and it's considered a psychobiotic meaning that it improves brain function um, and it can actually decrease anxiety and depression so lactobacillus um, you'll see that on a lot of things i have greek yogurt right now that has different different species of lactobacillus um, bacteria and all of them are typically good. So another one is bacteria. so I'll spell that out, B-I-F-I-D-O bacteria, and it's technically one word. For this one, you'll see bifido or just B dot something. Um, that one is also important and also considered a psychobiotic, meaning that if you take it, it will improve your brain health. We also have common known bacterias like strep and staph. Um, most people wouldn't think that those are good, but there's certain certain species of strep and of staph that are good. Um, but then there's obviously the pathogenic forms or pathogenic species of strep and staph. So just kind of an interesting note there, though. We have... A species of bacteria in our in our gut that we would normally consider to be you know something we want to stay away from but actually they're kind of essential to our functioning so it's just uh, just interesting how much diversity we really have in our microbiome in our gut so not all bacteria are bad um, so what foods right like what foods are prebiotics what foods are good for good bacteria beneficial bacteria um, a good thing to do is eat a wide variety of fibers. So this is things like whole wheat, beans, nuts, seeds, legumes, vegetables, and fruit. And another kind of aside on vegetables and fruit, there's bacteria living within the fibers of vegetable, vegetables and fruit, and most of the times they're beneficial bacteria. So when you eat vegetables, you're not just eating a prebiotic, meaning you're not just eating Food for good bacteria. You're also getting good bacteria out of the actual fiber construct of vegetables. Um, other things: yogurt, sauerkraut, um, just fermented foods. Fermented foods often have a lot of bacteria, a lot of different cultures, and the um, cultures meaning just you know populations of bacteria, and uh, and they're gonna be good for you most of the time. So I do want to make a note on yogurt though. A lot of yogurts today are sold with, I mean, just like 15 grams of added sugar per serving, which is just like, you want to steer away from that. I know it tastes good, but it's, it's just, it, it kind of defeats the purpose of eating yogurt for your gut health, because now you have sugar in your yogurt, so all the beneficial bacteria are going to have to fight this harmful bacteria that's feeding on the sugar. And sugar is a super good food source for a lot of things. I mean, it's, it's it's kind of the thing that keeps us alive, but at the same time, you know, we get way too much sugar, so that's why it's bad, right? But these bacteria love sugar, and they're they're harmful bacteria, so they, they're probably going to eat the sugar out of the yogurt and probably compete against the beneficial bacteria in the yogurt. So, you know, it might not be doing any good for you to eat sugary yogurt. So, what are some you know good yogurts to eat? Um, I personally eat, I think it's Chobani um, Greek yogurt, and it's just the plain flavor. I mix fruit with it. Um, you can also use it kind of like sour cream. I've noticed. Uh, I'll just put you know a scoop of Greek yogurt, plain Greek yogurt, on like a taco kind of mix, and it really blends in well. Um, yeah, so that's a way to sort of get that yogurt if you don't like the taste of plain greek yogurt you can sort of mix it in like a like sour cream so other prebiotics asparagus chicory root garlic jerusalem artichoke jacama onions and yacon root (laughs) i really don't know what yakon root is but um It looks kind of like a sweet potato. So there's just kind of a list of foods that are common known prebiotics that will promote good bacterial growth. What foods to avoid? Okay, you want to avoid high saturated fat foods like red meat. Um, You want to avoid most dairy products, right? So, But I just said yogurt is good, right? Well, yogurt with the bacteria colonies are good, um, but if you're eating too much dairy there's a lot of saturated fat there, and you're gonna get a lot of these bacteria that love, um, that love fats and will produce harmful things that can cause IBS, uh, irritable, irritable, irritable bowel syndrome, and also sometimes like acid reflux. So you kinda of wanna stay away from saturated fat foods for that purpose. Um, artificial sweeteners like stevia or aspartame Are also bad for your gut health because basically what they do is um they're sweet on your tongue but they don't really provide any sugar to your gut so you're getting this sweetness um and it's like sugar but then when it gets to your gut the bacteria can't break it down because it's not sugar so it just kind of takes up space and it can actually reduce the diversity of the bacteria in your gut and like I said earlier, the diversity of bacteria in your gut is, is important. Actually, the higher diversity you have, the less incidence of sickness you have, right? There's a very close correlation between the diversity of bacteria in your gut and sickness, meaning that the more diverse your gut bacteria is, the less you'll get sick, and also the thicker your gut lining will be. So, Things like artificial sweeteners that reduce the diversity of bacteria in your gut, you kind of want to stay away from. Um, what else? Tap water. Whew. I could have a whole other video on tap water. I'll probably do one on tap water. But tap water just being like city water, chlorinated, probably has like high levels of estrogen, <laughs> which is why I'll do a whole other video about that because that is very, very interesting to me. But um, tap water can also reduce the the bacterial diversity in your gut, because the chlorine, which is often in city water in, in higher amounts than it should be, uh, that chlorine will kill the bacteria, and, and you can really reduce your bacterial population. Um, recently, the, there's been research done on eggs, which are saying eggs can produce bad bacteria. Um, I'm just putting that in there, because it's out there. That's what the you know science is saying. So um, I personally like eggs for a lot of reasons, but uh, you know, you always have to weigh... Like what are you getting and what are you like what are you benefiting from and what are you you know what's not benefiting you so eggs um, GMOs and um, farmed fish are another thing that they say to kind of stay away from Um, so that's a list of foods to either eat uh, for good bacteria or avoid so you don't have bad bacteria Um, so I just want to make some final thoughts so this topic is so can go so deep with this stuff. Uh, I kind of just scratched the surface today and I tried to prepare my best for this podcast by um, reading a book this week called Psychobiotic Revolution. And if you're into reading books and you're into this topic, I highly recommend the book Psychobiotic Revolution. Um, It is is written by Scott Anderson along with uh, two PhDs who did some of the early work on gut health. Um, Scott Anderson is a journalist so it's written in a a pretty friendly way or i guess pretty you know layman's layman's way um but even me being you know someone who has been in science for a while now and um you know it's not written in a way that is oversimplified either so definitely recommend psychobot psychobiotic revolution um yeah that's a great book and I got a lot of my um, a lot of my ideas for the podcast out of that book. So go get that if you want to learn more about this stuff. Um, another point I do want to make too before I go, and I'll probably make a whole episode about this as well. But antibiotics, Oof. antibiotics, um, arguably one of the most you know, important scientific discoveries or developments in human history. Uh, we've you know totally erad like pretty much eradicated some diseases using antibiotics and um it just saved saved lives but there's a dark side to antibiotics and that is that they will kill most of the bacteria that's in your gut because uh, they're not selective right i think there is some work being done on selective antibiotics which is awesome and i think it's something that definitely needs to be developed because we can't go on without antibiotics completely but um I would just try to take antibiotics only when you have to. Um, I know when your doctor, you know says, obviously listen to your doctor, but um, you know, if you have some left at home or whatever, like just I would just be careful about taking those because if you do wipe out your whole bacterial population in your gut, that opens the door to other pathogenic bacteria and viruses to sort of put down their, their home base and reproduce um, taking antibiotics is also pretty related to anxiety and depression and other, um, mental disorders, especially like chronic ones, like Alzheimer's and, and, um, just general dementia. So I would wager to say that, you know, we should all be careful taking antibiotics. We also don't want to just develop antibiotic resistance. Um, one, you know, One thing that comes to mind when I think about antibiotics is C. diff, and um, C. diff is a strain of bacteria that is pretty dangerous, and the way that people mainly get C. diff is that they take antibiotics, and it clears out all of their bacteria, all of their helpful bacteria, and then C. diff, the harmful bacteria, gets in and just runs the whole place, and then you get this infection. There's tons of C diff, and it can kill you. So, um, yeah. So I would just, you know, look into the antibiotic thing, if you're interested, and in, you know, if you if you have ear infections frequently and stuff like that, um, you know, it might be worth trying to fight off that infection naturally first before going to antibiotics, just to preserve your microbiome. Um, other things I wanted to mention, I. I said I'd answer these questions, so I already kind of told you what kind of probiotics to, to focus on—the ones with the lactobacillus and the bifidobacteria. But I also had a little thing where, you know, should you should your two-year-old eat dirt? Now it was, it was kind of a joke, but actually not really. Um, in the first couple years of your life, you are developing your immune system, and you're training your immune system to you know recognize what's bad and recognize what's not bad and to not attack your own cells and to, you know, only have reactions to things that are actually harmful. So when you're a young child, you get a lot of that from your mother um, through breastfeeding, actually. Your mother can share her immunity with you as a child through breastfeeding. And it actually starts in the placenta, but um, through breastfeeding is the main main way that, that babies get there get their immune system um, trained. And then beyond that, when you're a child and you're outside um, exposed to all of these potential pathogens or good bacteria, your immune system is taking note of all these things and it's training your immune system. So if you are not exposed to those things at a young age, your immune system can be severely Compromised in a way that when you're older and come into contact with those things, it's not ready. It's not. It hasn't been trained, so it might have either either overreact or not react at all, and you might just get sick. And um, and when your immune system's kind of set in place, it's it gets harder to change it as you get older. So to answer those questions, um, breastfeeding is you know a, a good way to get immunity to your child. Um, and to increase their diversity of bacteria, and also, yeah, your two year old should probably be outside. Um, maybe not eating dirt, but you know, definitely being exposed to those things and just building up that robust immune system and getting those good microbes in place and determining the the microbiome of what will eventually be a, an adult human who comes into contact with a lot of things. So. Again, you want that diverse microbiome, you want to be exposed to a lot of different things um, when you're a child so that you can develop a good immunity to them. And um, yeah, so hopefully that answers those questions. Um, I hope that this was informative and kind of gave you a general synopsis of what gut health is and why it is important. Um, Like I said, there is so much on this topic. I hope I did it justice, but I did definitely did not cover everything. Um, if you're interested, please just look online. There is so many exciting articles and new, um, you know, new new science that's being published all the time about gut health and um, different foods. So go check it out for yourselves. Um, and Yeah, if you have questions, please um, send me an email at nutrientdaily at gmail.com. No spaces or anything, just nutrientdaily at gmail.com. I would be happy to answer questions on on the podcast um, and also happy to see what kind of topics you guys are interested in. Um, I genuinely like reading papers and learning stuff. So, you know, this is a hobby of mine. So please, if you're interested in something, I want to um, give you guys what you want to know about. And hopefully I will learn something in the process too. So please feel free to reach out. Um, as always be safe, be happy, be healthy, and, um, yeah, have a great week. All right. Thank you, friends. Godspeed.